Can you hear me? Because I can't hear myself. Right, we're okay. Um, This is a massive topic. The gospel for the refugees, the marginalized, those that are dispossessed. I can't give you a three-point sermon. Is that okay? I remember five, six years ago when I was first introduced to the idea of refugees, I could not believe what I was hearing. I was completely ignorant. (laughs) Completely misinformed. And uh, so what I want to do, I'm going to give you a lot of information today. Is that okay? I want us to be informed about the, the subject at hand so we're not ignorant and we understand what we're dealing with. So there's going to be detail. But then to deal with something as complex as people movement and refugees, I think we need two types of theology. We need a bit of systematic theology where we really drill into the subject and look, what does the Bible say about this in detail? So we can have a bit of systematic. And then I think we need to step back and do some biblical theology and look at the whole topic of what it means to be marginalized and dispossessed. So indulge me. It's not going to be three points. It's going to be a bit of detail but I trust that God will speak to us through it. So let's read Deuteronomy 24. God says this, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. And this is a key verse. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. Have a guess how many people came to the United Kingdom to live in 2015. Just have a guess. Don't put it up. Have a guess how many people came into the UK to live in 2015. Shout some figures out. Over 2,000. Good. Any more? 125,000 people came to live here. The figure was 636,000 people. That's how many people came in 2015. Have a guess how many people left the UK in 2015? 645,000. No, it was 306,000. Which means in 2016, 300,000 more people came to live in the United Kingdom. That's a net migration of, for the mathematicians amongst us, you've got it, 330,000. So the next graph summarizes what's happened over the last 10 years here in the UK. So the top figure shows roughly about 600,000 are coming to live in the UK and roughly between three and 400 are leaving. So you've got about 300,000 increase year upon year. So out of that 636,000 people coming to live in the UK, how many of those do you think are people fleeing persecution and violence. 636,000 people come in. How many are fleeing violence, persecution, threat of death? Any idea? 
Pardon? Over half. So we've got about 350,000 people fleeing persecution and violence ending up on our shores. Anybody want to go higher? More? More? Higher? More, more. So we go in perhaps 300, perhaps 400,000 people are coming to this country. The actual figure is 33,000. That's it. Just 33,000 people are coming to this country because they fled persecution and violence. Have a guess how many we let in. It's just 20,000 last year. 636,000 people come. 33,000 are fleeing persecution and violence. We let in 20,000. Last year in 2014, we only let in 14 thousand. I had no idea when I first came to look at the subject. So have a guess how many people live in the UK now who weren't born here. Any idea? So there's about 60, 64 million people living in the UK. How many people live here who weren't born here? I'll let you know there's 8.3 million and have a guess how many of those are refugees? Six million? The official figures are 120,000. Are 120,000. What happens after five years, people become residents. So the picture's a little bit more, but let's double it. 200,000, 250,000. That's what we're talking about. Now, hands up, who's absolutely shocked. Now, you can go and look these up on every single, the Office of National Statistics. All of this is the data we have. United Nations, even the Daily Mail. Seriously, cannot deny this. Even the Daily Mail. Why do people flee? Normally it's because of tyranny, organised tyranny. Can we have the next slide, please? Can I encourage you not to do something? Do not go onto the internet, type in the word terrorism and look for images. Just don't do it because you'll see people like these chaps and you'll see what they do to people who are fleeing persecution, violence and terror. You would not want to fall into the hands of these chaps. And it's not small scale. It can be on a national level that people are fleeing what? Persecution, torture and death. And the result of these chaps and evil states is this. Displacement. There we are. And that's what the Bible means by the alien and the foreigner. It's not somebody who's all of just of a sudden happened to walk into your town one day, hello, and is passing through. That's not what it is. Because in Bible times, children of Israel, who was at the top? There was Assyria. There was Babylon, the superpowers. You won't want to mess with those guys. Down the bottom, there was Egypt. There were the Amalekites, the Phoenicians. They were completely and utterly surrounded by people who were warring one with another and who wanted to take people captive. They knew what it was about. 
and they knew what it was like. So have a guess how many people right now. So 20,000 end up on our shores. Have a guess how many people are fleeing persecution and torture this year. The total number, have a guess. Five million, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, five million. Higher, lower? Higher? More than five million. What, should we double it? Ten million? It's 65 million people are currently fleeing persecution. Look at the Institutes for Peace and Economics, and they looked at about 167 nations. That's the main ones in the, U- in the world, is about 197. And of those, only 11, only 11 countries are free from fragility, conflict, and violence. We live in a broken world. Look at Afghanistan. Look at Syria. Just have a look at Syria. Look what's going on in Chad. Look what's going on in South Sudan. Look what's going on in Eritrea. Just have a little look. Type in. There's only 11 countries free. Just have a little look. And you'll see what is happening on a massive scale. The United Nations High Commissioner, Filippo Grandi, said this this year. The level of forced displacement worldwide is unprecedented since the founding of the United Nations itself. Every year we seek to find a glimmer of hope to show that the world is finding solutions to heal, help heal the trauma. We're not on about stabilizing nations. We're looking for glimmers of hope to help heal the trauma that 65 million people are living through on a daily basis. But this year, the hopeful signs are hard to find. My friends, we need the kingdom of heaven to break through massively. That's what we need. We can hope and hope and hope and hope that something is going to change, but we need Christ to come and deal with this through his empowered people. That's what we need. So let me give you some figures about the 65 million. 40 million of those end up... No, but 65 million, this is what I'd like to say. Can you imagine if I said to you guys, you have to flee right now. Drop everything. Get in your cars. If you don't have a car, tough. Just go. Because someone is coming to kill you. What would you do? Imagine if I said that to every single person in the United Kingdom right now. Get up, leave, go. You're going to be tortured, persecuted or killed. What would you do? Of that, 40, of that 65 million, 40 can't get across the border. 40 million. They have to stay within a country where they know people are out to kill them. 40 million stay in their own country. 21 million of that 65 have managed to cross the border. And they are the refugees. And a refugee is someone who is recognised you are under threat, you have been tortured, you can stay. And then there's 3.2 million of those who are called asylum seekers, where they say, we are being tortured.
please will you help us? And they're being processed. And of that number of asylum seekers, 51% are children. Now, when you do look at the Daily Mail, you'll find that a lot of people making it our shows are young men. Yeah? They're not wrong. Why is that? So if I get little Josiah and Ellie, we just manage to get them across the border from Syria. We pay some money. How far are they going to get? They're not going to get far, are they? So 86% of those that get across the border, they just stay across the border. Because that's as far as they can go. They're spent. They have nothing. They're in refugee camps. Well, you should have. And uh, I'm going to tease in, Tina. And this is why Filippo Grandi is getting a bit worried. He's the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Because another study has been done. And have a guess how many people in this world are living in fragile social circumstances and national circumstances and war and conflict zones. It's more than 65 million. It's 2 billion. It's 2 billion people living in very difficult, fragile circumstances. And they believe if things continue as they are, the world's extreme poor, which now constitutes just 17% of the population, will end up in 2030 being 50% of the population because more and more people will have to flee. Are we getting the picture? It's not a nice one. Um, does anybody know what this figure is? No, it's not my bank statement from this morning. And I looked at it and I thought, what is it? I just couldn't work it out in my head. I don't see figures like that. What is it? First person to shout out will win a toaster. Any idea? So that's world debt. We think that's world debt. Global world debt, yeah? But what's the figure? What? It's mind-boggling. I looked and thought, what is this? It's 1.57 trillion dollars. And we've had a shout out. That is the total global debt in the world. Anybody else? Anybody else know what it is? That is the amount of money that was spent in one year on weapons. One year, weaponry to do what? Cause conflict. To kill people. To cause displacement. There's defence involved. That's one year. The estimates are just half of that year on year would completely lift the entire world out of poverty. And yet that's what we spend every year. The world on global arms. And when we're in this kind of situation, what we find is that when you have so many people displaced and vulnerable and needy, we don't just get this to it living here. The worst thing I have to put up with is a persistent veruca. That's it. Oh, it's like pain. I wonder when it's going to go. That's it. We just don't get it, do we? We just don't understand what is going on in the world. We're shielded from it. But what happens to these people is the vultures gather. Because if you've got nowhere to go, and you've got nowhere to go, and you've got nowhere to go, and I've got a bit of power, I might be able to take advantage of you. 
And that's what, exactly what we see happening. So what's the next figure? I'll give you this one. That's six billion. That's the amount of money that people fleeing violence paid to illegal drug, uh, traffickers to get themselves and their kids across the border. Six billion was paid. We're going to talk about that, Tina. We're going to talk about that. Six billion. Now, 51% are children. Do you know why? Because not everybody can afford to get across. You're desperate. Think about Syria. Just get the kids out. Try and get them free. So that's what's spent. What's the next figure? That's 150 billion. And they've estimated that this is how much the marginalised, the vulnerable, get exploited every single year. You, 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 you. Because you know what? You've got nothing. You've got no one to turn to. I have power. And I can do something for you if you do something for me. It's 150 billion. And what we realise now when they're doing the math is that 29 million people, because they're displaced, have been trapped in modern-day slavery. 16 million people are being exploited for labour. I know someone in this church, he lived in this city for seven years because their asylum claim wasn't being processed properly. Do you know what he used to do? They had nowhere to live, nowhere to stay, no recourse to public funds. This is the, the couple that changed my view of asylum. They'd suffered terribly, but the, the suffering wasn't on an official list. Yeah, we know you've been, but it's not on our list here, so we can't let you in. So what happened is this guy would find a house that nobody would rent because it was dreadful, full of damp, rot. And he would say to the landlord, can I live in there and I'll fix it up. And that's what he used to do. But he knew that the time would come when the landlord would say, wow, that's looking really good now. Out, I'll get somebody in and start charging them money. Time and time again this happened. It costs about six, seven thousand bay minimum to just renovate a house. You can imagine that five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, one person. That's how they lived. Thousands upon thousands of pounds. Sixteen million people like that in the world are exploited for their labour. 4.8 million women are exploited sexually. And that grosses 99 billion a year. It's an average of $35,000 per pretty girl. She doesn't last long, by the way. She's only got a couple of years in her. Then she's finished. There's a guy called Tarzan Feinberg, and he was a people trafficker. And he said this, find me a pretty girl, a young pretty girl, and I'll pay 20000 for her. And I'll make my money back in less than a month. And then the rest is pure profit. Look him up, Tarzan. Mr. Feinberg, he got caught trying to buy a submarine from the Russians. Why? To smuggle women around under the ocean and drugs. It's massive. It's a $150 billion industry. So does the Bible have anything to say about this? Does it? You bet it does. You absolutely bet it does. There was a philosopher I was reading recently called René Girard, and he said, as soon as you think the scriptures have nothing to say about the world in which we live, you're already not fit for the task at hand. There's 180 
references in the Bible to people who are fleeing persecution and violence. We're going to go through every single one of them <laughs> so you don't forget them. Is that okay? No, you don't have to do that. Why? Because I pour myself out like a drink offering and do it on your behalf. So I've gone through every single verse in every single passage and I've put together what I call a manifesto, a Christian manifesto for how we start to view this problem. Before I do that, there's two things. Is the problem I've just described big? Yes. Do you feel you can do anything about it? Yeah, Ooh, yeah. well, you two, come on. You're going to come. You're pretty good. Manager of the year, I don't know how many times. Surely you can. We feel impotent. What the can we do? But I tell you, that is not a biblical or a Christian response. It's not. We're not to be naive and think, let me at it, I'll sort it out in one second, because you can't. But God calls us into those areas to be salt and light. And when you look at the history of Britain and the world, it's always been like this. But when nations have been changed, you will find that the sound of the gospel and the Christian message has rung through and changed everything. Who could have stopped slavery? Everybody thought William Wilberforce was a nutter. Do you know what they said about slavery? I'm, I'm diverging now. How long have we got, Matt? Because I, I, I've got 10 minutes left. That's okay. We'll rise it. They said about slavery this, we can't do anything about slavery, and we shouldn't. Do you know why? The entire economy of the world will collapse, and everybody will end up in poverty. That's what they said here in our parliament. But people got together, many, many Christians, and stuck at it. And in the end, something happened. So this is what the Bible says. And think, we're going back to the context now of the children of Israel, when you know they all want to kill us. So the alien and the foreigner is coming from countries that want to kill children of Israel. That's the status. What should you do? Well, other nations would simply... Slavery or death. It's what God says. Do not oppress or mistreat the alien and the foreigner. Even if they come from amongst your enemies, they are loved by God. And those who mistreat them will be judged. Judgment is coming. People think they're getting away with this scot-free. Judgment is coming on the people that exploit the poor. Treat them as your own as native born open your door to them and plead their cause before the father next care protect and provide for their needs as you would the priests the fatherless and the widows in so doing you will be blessed do not exploit but give them their due a fair wage Protection under the law and equal status. Guys, this is the Old Testament. This is the Old Testament here. Invite them, I love this one, invite them into the Sabbath to rest from labour and work. Guys, refugees and asylum seekers here, they are desperate for rest. They have no rest. Bring them into the Sabbath rest and accept them into your covenant community. Listen, 
granting them an inheritance and inviting them into corporate rejoicing and community festivals. They don't need to adopt all our cultural traits. But listen to this. They must hear and abide by God's laws of love, just like everyone else. And what's the response of this ridiculous, radical, crazy generosity? In so doing, many will build with us. And this is the heart of God's holy law. Can we bring up the whole manifesto? My friends, can you imagine what would happen in a world if the millions of Christians on this planet, the millions and millions and millions of Christians on this planet, 65 million dispossessed, millions upon millions of Christians, can you imagine if that is how we treated the alien and the foreigner? It's a radical, upside-down message they don't go to the back of the queue they come to the front of the queue we welcome them in we care for them as one of our own we give them a hospitality that will melt the hardest heart that's a christian manifesto did anybody know it was in there so ignorant about the plight of the refugees me you just start to look at it 180 reference that's systematic theology we've drilled in. Now to close in the next five minutes, we're going to look at what's known as biblical theology. And what we do is we step back and we look at the big picture from Genesis to Revelation. And that's important because it touches not just on refugees, but it touches on this entire series that we've been going through. The marginalized, the oppressed. How should we view them? And when you do that, you will find... That the alien and the foreigner tells us a lot about who we are, what the world is like, and how God is going to make everything new. So let's start on the next slide. This is the biblical overview. God has a plan of redemption. The Bible is not just a collection of words, an aggregate of words. And when we think, oh, I wonder what it says about asylum, we pluck them all out and put them together in a manifesto. The Bible has a story. It has a plot line. It starts at the beginning, it goes to an end, and it's trying to tell us something very, very clear, and it does it over and over again. And the story is this. God's world is broken, but he's going to come and make it all new. He's going to come and make it all new. So you know this displacement of people? this terrible problem, God is onto it. And he is going to deal with it. And he calls us to be involved. So in the very beginning, biblical theology, we were in complete union with God in the Garden of Eden. We communed with him, one another. And then what happened? Rebellion. And what does rebellion lead to? It leads to exile from the presence of God. And when you leave the presence of God, you end up incredibly vulnerable. Then what do we find in the biblical story? Rebellion leads to Babylon. Does anybody know what Babylon is a symbol of? It recurs over and over again, comes back in Revelation. Do we know what Babylon is a symbol of? 
in some respects, they take you, to ex- yeah, they take you into exile. It's organized rebellion. So you have the rebellion of Adam and Eve, individual, then Cain slays Abel, and then what happens, Lamech comes along and says, you know what, I'm going to be really vengeful and take people on. Then what do they say? We're going to build a big city. And this big city is going to rise to the heavens. Do you know what that means? The heavens, the mountains, that was where God resides. We are going to rise as a nation to where God resides. And whenever they do that, they end up with organized tyranny. It's simply rebellion from God at a state, national, organized level. And what does that lead to? Well, we know what it leads to. It leads to slavery, oppression, hard labor. That's the story of Egypt. You end up in slavery. And what happens when you're in slavery? You groan, you cry out. Please, can anybody rescue us from this situation? And then what happens, John? God comes to rescue us. And what does he do? He takes us on our personal exodus. Out of slavery, out of bondage, and into release. How does he do that? Through redemption. He buys us, he wins us. And we go through, as it were, through the waters. That's the, sim- that's the symbolism of the waters. Out of Egypt, through the waters. Joshua, through the waters. We go through the waters. Because what's God doing? He's freeing us. And he's cleaning us up. And he's cleansing us. And he's making us new. And how does that happen? How does that healing and restoration happen? It happens within the people of Israel. The body of Christ. His kingdom. His new community of people my friends this is our story it tells us about us once in slavery now made free it tells us about the story of the refugee and the asylum seeker where are they on the story the biblical story slavery oppression hard labor groaning crying out what do they need rescue who can provide rescue God so the question is this and this is what the Bible tells us over and over again in this story as it told the children of Israel as Jesus proclaimed it how is it if we have received this personally how is it that we can withhold it from anybody else from the leper from the marginalized, from the poor, from the oppressed, who find themselves groaning, longing for freedom. My friends, this is the gospel message. We come and we provide a community where everybody is made new. I'd been Christian along and I met some Pakistani Christians and they really challenged me. Because we started to talk about faith and they said, it's fascinating how you in the Western world, you don't understand community. They had the biggest shock of their lives. They said, all you understand is the individual. It's all about you, your little nest, your little home, your little pension plan, your nice little car, your manicured lawn. It's all about you. But they said the biblical story is about a community. Do you know why they said here in your country, you know, we think you find it difficult to deal with any big problems? You try to do it on your own because you're individuals. We have the myth of the superhero, don't we? Bring in Superman. It's the Western myth. 
Get your tights on. He'll sort it out. Who's he? He's Superman. It's the anti-Christian story. The Christian story is we do it as a family. We do it as a community because we can't do it on our own. There's not that many refugees here in Bradford. There's enough Christians to make a massive, massive difference. I think a couple of hundred or perhaps a thousand here in Bradford. As a community, we can do something. As individuals, we can do something. But my friends, the biblical challenge is this. We have to do it as a family. People have to taste and see the love of God one for another. That's how we care. And then what happens? People will build with us. To my last slide. Refugees. Asylum seekers. They came as asylum seekers. They were bereft of any form of public support. Nothing. Penniless for seven, eight years. Yodano trying to offend for his wife on his own in this town full of people who didn't care. Seven years. Then one day they came to see us and my life changed. If anybody's a superman, it's him. When you start to read his story, the first thing I went through is, he's lying. Can't happen in our country. What? Seven years without recourse to public funds? Nonsense. Having to report every year to every, every month to Lees just to show you're around? That can't happen here in Britain. So I got some people in. I said, look, do you believe this story? No, I don't believe that. How can that possibly happen here in Britain? It's not just happening to your daughter. It's happening to loads of people. And then he came and volunteered for our food bank. And do you know what happened? He and his wife, Yamila, changed it. They had a bit of swagger, a bit of dance. And what we did is we asked them to cook for us. And do you know why I asked them to cook for us? Because I wanted to create what's known as the communion table. Communion here, we go over to a table, don't we take a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine, and that's the love of God shared abroad. Well, communion in the New Testament was a love feast. Do you know what it said? We're breaking down every single barrier. Every single social barrier going. And everybody's going to eat at the same table as members of the same family. They're brilliant cooks, so I thought we can create a Eucharistic meal. Every food bank. And that's what they did. One year we provided two tons of food to like other asylum seekers. And we created a community. They came and lived here with Matt and Josie. And you told me, you know, thank you so much for opening your home, but... Were they a blessing or were they a blessing? Absolutely. Did they build with you? Yeah. Did they change things? Much better at DIY. Much better at DIY. Well, he's had a lot of practice. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah. He's doing it for his life. And now they build with us and they're part of our community. So to close, if someone's marginalised, what do they need? God's love. And they need it as part of a family. So my friends, I think for us, it's going to be a culture shift, perhaps. But we can't do things on our own anymore if we want to tackle some of the big issues of our day. I know here in Bradford, they're crying out for people to befriend asylum seekers. They are friendless. Surely we can do that. The gospel is with us. And the last thing, do you know when Christ said, when the scriptures tell us this, what power works in us? What power works in us? 
It's akin to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know what that means? It means new life, new creation, when you think it's impossible. So when we look at the plight of the world, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. Because the power of resurrection life lives within his community. So let's not be frightened. Let's not be shy. Let's get out into the world and welcome every marginalized person and show them the love of God and the new creation.